We're going to talk some about that this morning, about singing and praising and worshiping Jesus. We can watch him for the next 20 minutes or so. <laughs> no, he is not bothering me at all. I love to see the kids. Is Reed with you this morning? No. Is, he's not sick, is he? Okay, good. All right. I saw Charlotte, but I didn't see Reed, so. Got Faith back there, too. How you doing, Faith? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> well, it's good to see you, too. Thank you, Dan. You know what time it is. Smile check time, that's right. Is he smiling? All right. All right, let's get into God's Word this morning. Last week in Nehemiah, we finished up chapter 6, and we were talking about Tobiah, he had family on the inside in Jerusalem. And everything that Nehemiah did, good or bad, word got back to Tobiah. He knew everything that was going on in Jerusalem. Wasn't anything getting by him. I don't know what that says about families. (laughs) They're a blessing sometimes. Oh my goodness, what a mess. And all because of the, the intermarriage and the marriage and the, you know, the in-laws, the outlaws, the third cousins, the eighth nephews, and the, what a mess. Nehemiah couldn't do anything, but Tobiah would hear about it. And of course, as they went and gave reports to Tobiah, they'd bring letters back from Tobiah to Nehemiah, telling him what he ought to be doing and trying to scare him. But you know, one thing that we've seen through the whole book of Nehemiah is that no matter what the enemy's doing, no matter if it's discouragement, if it's gossip and rumors, if it's threats of war, anything that the enemy is doing, Nehemiah keeps plodding along with the work. The work keeps being done. And he doesn't let it slow him down. He doesn't let it stop the work. Although that was their goal, that's exactly what they wanted to do, was to stop the work. They wanted, just as Satan wants to thwart at every turn and every chance he has, he wants to thwart the work work of God. Nehemiah didn't bite. Nehemiah kept plodding along day by day, and continuing in the work that the Lord had for him to do. He wouldn't let the enemy slow him down. Even though the, the, to, to, too many of the people in Jerusalem, their loyalty was to Tobiah and not to God where it should have been. So today we're moving on to chapter 7. Now this, this chapter 7 is a little funny. We're going to look at The first four verses primarily, but before we do that, we're going to do a summary of the rest of the chapter. And and when we go back and catch our first four verses, 
we'll see where some of the rest of the chapter fits in. Okay, it's it's just it's just not a smooth way to work it, but it's it's difficult. Um, verse five. We're going to start chapter seven and verse five. And and this is what one of the things that I love about Nehemiah. Then my God put it into my heart. He was in tune with God through prayer, through spending time in the Word, through fellowship. He cared what God cared about in his life. He was concerned with what God wanted to do through him in Jerusalem. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies, then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. Okay, now, now what, what we're going to see here in, is Ezra chapter 2 has a very similar listing. They're not identical. People will take these two listings and say, Ha! There's flaws in the Bible. There's mistakes. There's error. Well, when you stop and think about it, not so much. Zerubbabel brought the first group back from Babylon. I'm going to see if I can find the year. I wrote it down somewhere. Anyhow, it was around, it was something like 5, 520 maybe, B.C., that Zerubbabel brought the first group back. And guess what? Eighty years went by before Ezra came back to rebuild the temple. Then another 14 years went by before Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls. Guess what happens in 94 years? People die. People are born. People get richer. People get poorer. Money comes and goes. The flocks get larger and they get smaller. Okay? So it's, it's no surprise. In fact, I think we would be rather surprised if the listing in Ezra 2 was identical to the listing here in Nehemiah 7. It'd be kind of, kind of funny that nothing had changed in 90, 80 and 40, 94 years. So a lot of, you know, some, some people try to say, oh, there's errors in the Bible. Well, don't, don't use this as a case because you got no leg to stand on, okay? Things change. Like we say, people die, people are born. So, um, the ebb and flow of that. Now, one of the reasons God put it on Nehemiah's heart to assemble the nobles, to, to, to do this genealogy thing and listing, we, we got to sneak back to verse 4 real quick. It says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Okay? Talked about the walls being done. Now they got the gates hung. Uh, there's still work to do. Every time we think we might have something done, God has more for us to do. So we can't, we can't sit back on our laurels and, hey, we're done. Mm-mm. Nope. You still, it, what I tell you all the time, if you're still here, God's not done with you. He's got a plan for you. He's got work for you to do, so get to it. Stop sitting on your rear end and, you know, get off the chair and get to work. There's stuff to be done. And some of it may be, going from your rear end on the seat to your knees, because maybe God, in this stage in your life, has you to be a prayer warrior for those 
it can be more active. We can never have too many people praying, trust me. Certainly remember this week the, the kids in Myanmar and the, the murderers and torturers. And we know, we know what trafficking is. I mean, look at our southern border to, to sex traffic kids. We, you, you know what's going on. I mean, it was going on before our crisis at the border. But the abuse in that that I'm sure no doubt is going on in Myanmar right now is just devastating to children. Keep praying. And if God is only asking you to pray, then you better be the best prayer warrior there is. It's all funny this week. If you made a New Year's resolution to try to try to lose weight this year, you hop on the scale and you say, come on, I've got the full armor of God on, and that's pretty heavy stuff, all right? <laughs> yeah. Part, part of that armor is to pray, to communicate with God. Make sure we're doing that, okay? Praise the Lord that we have that armor to put on. So we're looking at this, these lists and the genealogies. Some of it doesn't make much sense. Good luck pronouncing the names. No, I'm not going to sit and read through the, the all 73 verses. Um, even in verse 7 there, it talks about Zerubbabel and, and the groups that came back with him. Uh, they're, they're trying to see what population they have, and, and eventually we're going to see that they, they kind of have a... I hate to use the term lottery because <laughs> there's no money involved. But they're going to draw straws that, that one-tenth of the people are going to leave the cities that they live in around Jerusalem and the villages and, and come into the city to populate it and to, to build the homes. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons that we, we have this listing here is to see how many people we have to, to choose from. Okay, And, and that listing is, just goes right on down through verse 38 is a listing of those that, that came back with Zerubbabel. <coughs> again, again, the numbers probably changed over the last 90 years, 94 years, of, from Ezra 2 to here. Um, some grew larger, some grew smaller. In verses 39 to 42, we see the returning of the priests. Now, the priests were of the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites could be the priests. Okay? In order to be the priest, and remember the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But they had those that were to go in there had to be of the direct lineage of Aaron. So you could be a Levite and, and not be a priest. There was work for you to do, and we're going to see that in the next few verses, 43 to 45. And we're going to refer back to the first few verses of the chapter later. Um, because of this group here. In verse 43, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua, of Cadmiel, of the sons of Hodiva, the singers, the son of Asaph. Anybody, does that name sound familiar to anybody? Asaph? Where, where do we see that or know that name from? Oh, the Psalms. Good. Okay. So the singer, the singers were the sons of Asaph, 148 of them. So they had a male choir. What's really cool is that Asaph's grandfather was Levi. He wasn't that far removed from the original listing of the tribes. Verse 45, the gatekeepers, the sons of 
Shalom, the sons of Adder, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hadatai, and the sons of Shobat. Okay, I'm slaughtering I'm Sorry, guys. No disrespect intended. There was 130 of that, eight of them, the gatekeepers. Again, we're going to come back to the gatekeepers in a few minutes. Verses 46 to 56. Well, we can include that down to 60, although there's a couple categories there. We have the Nethanim. That was not the giants. Okay, that was not the, the, the Philistines, the, the big guys. This was the Nethanim. These were the slaves um, that served in the temple. They were non-Jews. But does anybody remember the Gibeonites? We studied Joshua a couple of years ago when I first got here. Any, anybody remember those treacherous, deceitful Gibeonites? Remember what they did? Yeah. Yeah, these guys just live across the, over the hill about three miles away, and they come in with these old wineskins and, you know, all raggy, torn-up clothes, acting like they came from, you know, hundreds and thousands of miles away. They've been on this long trek, and they tricked them. They, they, they got them into a peace treaty. They said, we've heard about your great God. We want to... If they were from so far away... I think that, you know, the, the Joshua and the guys just really missed the boat here. First of all, they didn't go to God and ask God if they should do it. That was their biggest mistake. But why do you got to make a peace treaty with these people that live thousands of miles away? I mean, that's just common sense. Think it through, guys, but they didn't anyhow. And so the Gibeonites, remember, the Jews couldn't kill them or wipe them out. So they were in servitude to them. And there's a good chance... You know, they, there's no there's no proof, but uh, there's a lot of the scholars believe men a lot smarter than me believe that, that this group here from 46 to 56 were were most likely some of the Gibeonites, and they were put to work chopping the wood and hauling water for the service of the of the temple. And then you get down to 57 to, to 60, and, and this is kind of funny. I, I read through this. Several times before it kind of sunk in finally. It's, it's not, these are not Solomon's sons or descendants. These are the sons of Solomon's servants. I know, it's a very minute detail. It really has nothing to do with anything, but it took me a while to figure that out, okay? Um, but anyhow, this group here were the servants that, that fit in with 46 to 56. And um, they, were, they were the temple servants. Now this this is really this is critical, and again we'll come back. We're going to go back and forth with the beginning cha- uh, verses of the chapter, but these next few ver- verses are so critical to our lesson today from Nehemiah. Verse sixty one says, "And these were they who came up from uh, Telmela, Telharasha, Cherub, Adon, Imner." And if any of you ever want to get up here and correct me and say these properly, feel free. But they could not show their father's houses or their descendants whether they were of Israel. They could not prove that they were Jews. Next couple verses. And the priests, I'm not going to read through 63 because it's a bunch of names and what we need is in 64. These searched among their ancestral registration, but it could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. And the governor said to them that they should not eat from the most holy things until a priest arose with the Urim and the Thummim. 
They had to be pure. And they had to be... If you were a priest in Israel, it was your family's responsibility to keep the paperwork. To show your... Now, I don't know, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if they had, you know, signet rings that they stamped on it or whatever, or what made it official, if they had to get the embossing down from the secretary or state or what. But they knew what that documentation was, and it was their responsibility to keep it. And if they weren't concerned enough to make sure that they could keep their proof of their lineage, you're out. If it didn't matter enough to you to keep track of, guess what? You're done. You're out. You don't, verse 61, you don't get to be a Jew for starters. And 63, those specifically for the priest, you don't get to participate. You blew it. You didn't take care of what you were supposed to take care of. You didn't think it was important enough to give it your attention to keep track of the documentation. Again, it sounds like a minute thing, but it was there for the purpose of keeping purity and keeping the nation holy, as, as several of our songs talked about today was holiness. We know, and we've talked about this several times, that, that the gate, the, the, the wall around Jerusalem was to keep the world out and was to keep the Jews in to the Lord. It's like our sanctification today. We are to be separated from the world to God. Go back to my, my little illustration with God over here. And in our relationship with Him, we stand right next to Him. And the world's over there. And too often, as the world slides further and further from God, we tend to slide with Him. Oh, we keep the same 50 feet between us and them, I mean, we do have our standards after all. But while we're doing that, we're moving away from God. I was going to go down and use one of my lines from right at the end because it fits, it fits in there, but I'm not finding it. Um, hate when the stuff just doesn't click fast. <laughs> But we need to keep our relationship with God holy and pure. And we need to stay here next to God. No matter how far the world keeps sliding off the precipice, no matter how far the world and its sin moves from God, we need to maintain the standard in our relationship with Jesus Christ and stand right next to Him and not slide away. And so we, we, we have the, the purity and the, the call for holiness. And, and there's a call here. And they couldn't meet the bill. They couldn't prove their, their through the paperwork and documentation, whatever it consisted of. So you're out. Hmm. Think about that in terms of eternity. Not too hard. We'll get back to it. As we're, as we're just kind of summarizing, going through 66 and 67, where we're looking at their, their livestock. Um, nope, excuse me. No, we're not. <laughs> we're looking at the total numbers of the remnant. The livestock are in verses 68 and 69. And then in 70 to 73, we're looking at how the people praised the Lord through their offering. 
had 20,000 drachmas of gold is somewhere around, I don't know, remember exactly in my study, but somewhere around 400 pounds of gold. So that's what you're all expected to bring for offering next week, all right? <laughs> now, it's interesting, in, in verse 71, it talks about one of the men that brought 20,000 gold uh, drachmas of gold. And then in verse 72, it talks about how the rest of the assembly brought 20,000. So that one dude, he, he really invested in some good mutual funds or something if, if that one man had 20,000 drachmas to give. But they gave willingly. They gave out of love for the Lord. They gave from a cheerful heart. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 7. We're just getting started. Now it came about when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they were standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. You got the gatekeepers. They had a responsibility. It wasn't just the title. Nehemiah gave them the rules. We're going to close the gates at night to keep out the riffraff. This isn't a free-for-all. And guess what? During the daytime, we're going to post gatekeepers, and to come in, you're going to have to show your passport. You're going to have to show that you have a right to be here. You have to show proof. Why do you think we built the walls? Not just so anybody can come in. We built the walls to keep the sin out. To keep the riffraff. To keep those that do not serve and worship our God in heaven. And I'm jumping ahead to the gatekeepers. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to come back to them. I'm supposed to talk about the singers and the Levites first. Let's talk about the singers for a minute. He appointed the singers. And if you have a spirit of praise, you have the spirit of power in your church. We must be a rejoicing assembly where God is free to work. We must have an attitude of gratitude. That's not my original, although that's a pretty cool statement. I heard it somewhere else, so that, you know, I didn't come up with that, but I love it. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to rejoice. We need to lift and exalt Jesus Christ. We need to praise Him for who He is and for what He's done for us. Doesn't anybody agree with that? Uh huh. Wake up. We're going to make you stand up, turn around, touch your toes, and do some jumping jacks or something. It's our responsibility to have our heart in tune with God and to worship Him. And that's one thing the singers led them in. I'm going to take my glasses off so I can read my notes because a couple of them I wrote real tiny. Two years ago, Beth and I went to uh, the Getty Conference, and Paul Tripp was there and spoke, and this was in, uh, would have been about September of 2019, and I shared these with you then, and I, I'm going to start the quotes, and you need to finish them, because I told them to you two years ago, okay? 
These, these are a couple quotes from, from Paul Tripp. Love that man. He's, 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 if you just look at him, I probably, probably shouldn't put this on the air. He, he wouldn't strike you as being the guy. He just looks like a sedate, humorless fella. But he loves the Lord and he has a heart to, to praise the Lord. And, and he's just, he was just a wonderful speaker. Anyhow, the song that rules your heart will set the agenda for your life and your relationships. Okay, you better write it down this time, because in two years when I ask you, I'm going to make you finish it then, because it's the second time I've told you. The song that rules your heart will set the agenda for your life and your relationships. He also said, and, and the, the, this is fun, I didn't, I didn't get these out of a book. I heard these with my own ear. I, I was sitting listening to him talk. Your song is a soundtrack. Excuse me, your song, not sound. Your song is a soundtrack of your heart. Remember we talk about from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but what's there is going to come out. Okay, and we talk about just putting so much Jesus in us that we just ooze God so that when we talk, we can't help ourselves but talk about him. We can't help ourselves but praise Him and exalt His name. What's, what's oozing out of you? What is your heart song? What do you find yourself whistling as you go through the day or the, the, the song that's in your head that you just can't get out of there? To, even though it might be a great song, sometimes it'll drive you nuts because it just won't go away. That might be the song of your heart. And Lord willing, I pray that the song that is in your heart is one that worships our great God and Creator. Amen! Amen. No, you don't have to say it just because I say it. I was just agreeing with what I said. If you agree, say it whenever. Don't wait for me. The song that rules your heart will set the agenda for your life and your relationships. We need to be, I mean, I'm going to, it is, I'm, write these verses down. Write these verses down. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 20. Colossians three sixteen. And Hebrews 2.12. If, if you read, it, talk, it talks about you know, singing with, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And just as I was studying it, just, it just came to me that, that it's kind of like God wants us to be a cheerful giver. You know, i got to turn to one of them. I can't, I can't let it go, sorry. Because it, it, it says, uh, Ephesians, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melodies with your heart to the Lord. Making melodies with your heart. That, that just, it just brought to mind the idea of when we give our tithes and our offering to worship God, we're, that, that He wants us to be a cheerful giver. 
He wants us to do it willingly and, and gratefully and, and thankful for all of his riches. Remember, if you whatever percent you give to the Lord, if it's 5%, just remember the other 95% is his too, okay? He's just lending that to you, but he cares about how you spend that other 95% too, okay? But, but to, to have the attitude of having a cheerful heart when we are to share our, our psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it, it just comes across with the same attitude. That we're to make melody with our heart to the Lord. That we're to do it with joy. That the same attitude that we give with, we should sing with. Maybe I should rephrase that. The attitude that we sing with, we should give with too. Do you ever think about when you're putting offering in, in the box back there? That you're making melodies in your heart to the Lord? That's part of your worship. Our offering is part of our worship. And I gotta stop that because offering wasn't even on my notes, so I gotta not, not start preaching that song. But our, that our heart and our attitude should be the same. That, that we would rejoice. I often use the expression smile, okay, when we do our smile check. Smile because it increases your face value, okay? Sing, praise, and worship because it increases your faith value, okay? You get that? Sing, praise, and worship because it increases your faith value, Praise is becoming a saint. Praise is becoming to a saint. Does that make it a little more clear? If we're a saint, that's what ought to be coming out of us. That's what we should be oozing. is cheerfulness. A happy heart. A desire to want to serve Him. To praise Him. To exalt Him. Through the singing, and man, I, yeah, I can't wait till I get to heaven. I can't wait. The couple times we've gone to the Getty Conference, the first year there was about 5,000 there. The next year there was about 9,000. Then it was 13,000. Oh, baby, was that a choir. Oh, and, and the best part was they said about 75 to 80% of those there were church music leaders and choir directors. So I just kind of jumped on the train with them and sang. They were the ones that you know knew what they were singing or how to sing it. But oh man, to praise him in a choir like that, man! You want to talk about? Okay, you want to talk about mountaintop experiences? Those are three of them in my life. Is, is singing with that group. To praise him and make melody, and is a saint to grow my faith through singing to him. Okay, one of the one of the, the responsibilities. Uh, Warren Wearsby, of course, he he's really good at alliteration. He and Doctor Jeremiah are just ridiculous with their alliteration. I don't know how they do it. They, maybe they have a thesaurus or smart people or something. Maybe they're smart. One of the, um, Warren Wearsby has three E's 
that the leader is supposed to do. I'm only going to give you this one. Your pastor and your, your, your under-shepherds, your elders. So this falls on you too, Dick. We are to encourage worship. Citizenship and leadership together can make a state, but it takes worship to make the state into a godly nation. John Stuart Mill wrote, The worth of a state in the long run is the worth of the individuals composing it. You get that? The worth of a state in the long run is the worth of the individuals composing it. But the worth of the individual depends on his or her relationship to God. And this involves worship. This is heavy, folks. If individual godliness declines, the morality of the nation declines. Do you wonder why we're at where we are today as a nation? Is there any doubt? Is there any question why we're at where we're at? If individual godliness declines, the morality of the nation declines. Because our nation is the sum of the people. Chapter 7, verse 1, talks about the singers, and then he talks about the Levites. The Levites were the ministering servants. We, we saw from, from verses 43 through 45 to the right there that, that this is where the singers came from and some of the gatekeepers. Not all the Levites were priests. This is where we all come in as believers. If you want to have a parallel or an equivalent to you know Nehemiah's day to our day, God has a plan for your life, each and every one of us, and we need to fulfill it. We talk about the parts of the body. We're all a part of the body. And the body needs every part to fulfill its obligation. We have different gifts, different abilities. Some can teach. Some can pray. Some work with kids better. Some work great with flowers. Some are good at putting luncheons together. Some are good at calling on people and remembering and making them feel special. We each have gifts, and it's our responsibility to use them in the body. And that's what this group of Levites was here, is basically they were ministering servants to carry out the work of the ministry. All right, now back to the gatekeepers. This, and that, that, that's the introduction, basically, folks. Now we get into the meat of the message. We talked about the wall is for separation. In our, our lives, we are to be sanctified from the world to God. We're to be set aside away from the world and we're set aside to God in our relationship. And that was the purpose of the wall that was rebuilt around Jerusalem. I'll do it. Maybe I'm going to read a little bit more from my notes than I normally do, so maybe I can stick on target. The gates. You had to have your passport to enter. You had to prove that you were a Jew to come in. 
Do you think that after all the work they went to and all the garbage they put up from Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, from those around, that the Jews were going to let non-Jews live in the city? Wasn't going to happen. That's why he had to get the gates up. If you weren't a Jew, you weren't going to live in Jerusalem. They were to be a holy people, a holy nation. No Jews living here. Turn back to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, briefly. Nehemiah is answering Sam Ballot and Tobiah, and he says, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Sorry, dudes, you're not building your condo in this city because you got no right to be here. You don't have any passport. You don't have any paperwork to prove that you're a Jew. We know who you are. You have no right, no part to be here in Jerusalem. The gatekeepers were to permit, some translations may say porters. The gatekeepers or the porters were there to only allow, they had a job to do, they had a responsibility. Because what, what if you just left the gate wide open? Kind of like our southern border. What if you left it wide open? You have absolutely no control of who comes in. You get enemies that come in. People that wish you harm. Not good. Their job was to permit only those that come in. Only those to come in that had a right to be there. Because even then, the deceiver can sometimes slip through. As elders, we have a responsibility to guard the sheep. And as the shepherd would bring the sheep into the fold, sometimes if if there was somebody that was going to come over the wall, it it meant they had bad intentions. They were coming through as a thief to break in and, and steal. How do we know what shouldn't be allowed? Because you compare it right here. This is truth. This is the only truth that we compare anything to. If it's not here, it ain't going to fly. Not while Dick and I are in charge. We preach and teach God's Word. We talked about the the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and the, the counterfeit money. People that work there never ever are shown counterfeit money. They're only shown the truth and the right. So that the second they see something that isn't right, they can tell that it's that it's a fake, that it's a forgery. We're going to preach and teach truth. We're not going to give you and teach you about anything that's contrary to God's word. If you don't protect your border, disaster. 
Even when you protect your borders, some deceivers can still make it through. And this is this is a this this is a, a, a direct quote from, from one of the commentators I studied. Study regularly. I appreciate his words. It's uh, Henry Ironside. The world, get this, folks. Get the irony in this, okay? The world itself is not so foolish as to leave its port of entries unguarded. This was written back in the 30s and 40s, okay? The world itself is not so foolish as to leave its ports of entry unguarded. We are to be sifted out. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. The difference between David and, and, and uh, Saul, Saul sinned, stayed in it. David sinned, he repented. He turned his face to God and said, God, forgive me, because he knew he had sinned. And that's the difference in this body too, in any church. If when you sin, do you go to God and say, God, forgive me? Or do you continue on in your arrogance and your pride and your sin and say, yeah, I'm good. It's going to be the difference of who can get through the gate and who won't. I, I've always thought that, that the, the main purpose, and I've preached this many times, even right here, Many times I have preached that the purpose of church discipline in Matthew 18 is the restoration of that individual to fellowship. I am wrong. The primary purpose of church discipline is purity in the church. The second is for, to restore that individual to fellowship. I learned that this week. See, even old dogs got to learn new tricks. The purpose of church discipline is the purity of the church. The purpose of the gates around Jerusalem was to preserve the pureness of the, of the Jewish nation. It was to keep the riffraff out and to only let those in that had a right to be there. The purpose of church discipline is the holiness of the church. And then is to restore the one to the fellowship. So you got your paperwork? You got your passport? When you die and we're all gone unless the Lord returns, you stand at the gates of heaven and you say, why should I be allowed in there? Next couple of weeks, we're focusing on Easter and what Jesus Christ did for us and did for you. That is the only reason we have any right to heaven. Our great God and Savior, thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah. Wow. Man, good stuff. Thank you for just the lessons to learn. Father, may our hearts sing with gratitude to you.
And may we make sure that we have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the right relationship. And know that the only reason we can go to heaven and spend eternity with you is because of what you have done for us. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Remember Dorothy tomorrow?